Sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. And Aaron, we are figuring this thing out in the era of social distancing. Uh, we're finding out how to how to still uh, get together, have helpful conversations. Wait, carry I, I, I want to know, are you showering as much as you did before this whole thing? No, no. <laughs> I'm not shaving as often either. Really? What do you no. got? What, what are you growing there? I want to know. I don't have much of a beard, really. And Allie, Allie, Allie hates <laughs> facial hair, but I, I'm shaving like every other day rather than wait, every day. Wait, she hates. So I, has I she have hated a few showers. Has she hated my facial hair this whole time and I didn't know it? Long. Oh, that's, a long that's a long. That's a long. No, she has. No, 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 no. I'm, no, you, she you loves could've... you. She loves you. Let me clarify. She does not like to kiss facial hair. Oh, okay. And she right. has so far resisted the urge to kiss you, so facial hair has not been an issue. <laughs> or maybe it was the issue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor, poor Allie's in the mix. She didn't ask for that. She didn't deserve uh, that. No, I know she has no idea that we're talking about her. She's off in another room watching television. Uh, awesome. Yeah. So, uh, and you've got a bunch of people in your house. Are you managing? Are you managing to uh, keep up uh, a work schedule? Are you function? You got teenagers in the house. Of course, you're in a rural setting. You're not lack. You're not locked in an urban ap- apartment. You got a house. Yeah, no, it's it's land around it. It's pretty great. I think we have like close to. I don't remember how big is our property. Like close to an acre and a half. A little less than an acre and yeah. a half. Yeah, yeah, uh, got some room. So the yeah, there's been a lot of frisbee playing. We've reverted to like 1975. Kids are wearing dolphin shorts and throwing frisbees. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Yeah, and we've got a neighbor across the road, and like kids are not entering each other's houses or whatever. Well, I don't know, uh-huh. but they are they're playing frisbee across the road, and you know it's great. Frisbees go a long ways. It's perfect. It's perfect for social distancing. We recommend this to all listeners, which, by the way, uh, Nate Larkin, or Nathan Larkin, as he will be for the rest of this podcast, uh, we are going to try to have some extra podcasts that aren't just deep conversations. We're going to try to let our friends know some ways that you can connect because I've been having conversations with people that are playing online games, like Pictionary-style games, other type games, where you can get together with other friends, other couples, and be connecting during this time, growing your relationships. So, Nate, we're going to get together and explore some of this just to amuse our friends and uh, give them some information, right? You yeah yeah and you are going to drag me into the digital age when it comes to uh, socializing. I'm going to learn. I do need to learn how to do this. Allie and I, you know, we uh, we still have, as I think I've told you, we have our pub dates every day uh, at mm-hmm. five o'clock. It'll be late today, um, but we just have relocated the pub to the dining room. 
and we play we play cards. We haven't figured out how to play cards online with other people. I would love right. to be able to. Yes. So yeah. so I was trying to think what games do we have that we could play with like my parents or other people. Uh-huh. And I and I thought like, well, I guess you could do chess with one other person. <laughs> like that seems possible. But I don't love chess. No. And and then I was talking to somebody. They said, "No, there's there's these other games. They've been having game nights, and we're gonna we're gonna tell you about it. I don't have it okay. today, but we're gonna do it. Where you do stuff on your phone, like drawing pictures. Everybody has their computers open for seeing uh-huh. each other, but they're doing stuff on the phone. I, I don't know. I have no idea. Okay. But it's fascinating the options." And super fun for couples to get together and just have a great couples night. Put the kids to bed or just throw them out in the yard, whatever, and uh, have a good time. So we're going to figure and, this out. And maybe some of our listeners can send us tips and tricks for uh, yeah. shared gaming, right? Yeah, or just or just fun nights where you're not saying like, hey, let's sit in front of a computer screen and try to hold a conversation. We can't pull that off. We're not that interesting. <laughs> I will tell you, though, that the online Samson meetings have just been great. Well, that's the they're, cream of the crop. They're, they're interesting. Oh, yeah, they've really been good. And the newcomer meetings are full, and we got more people coming on board uh, uh, from Covenant Eyes here shortly. Uh, but, oh, man, boy, am I grateful that Samson Society, that Samson House took the initiative a couple years ago to launch the online meetings, and we were there and ready when this thing hit. I'm glad we didn't have to scramble and learn Zoom and figure out how to connect after this thing landed. Yeah, and you're still doing your walks with guys. Right. Uh, and yeah. I'm I'm one to f- three or four hours a day talking to people on Zoom. And it's, it. you know, I was already sort of That's quarantined awesome. by my That's lifestyle. That's just awesome. So, but it's, <laughs> there are a lot of options. So we want to help you guys. That's good. And if you're just feeling like, hey, we want to we want to hang out with the pirate monks uh, a little more often, we're going to try to give you that so that you don't feel like you're all alone. We'll bring in some friends. We'll have some mini meetings. We'll have a grand time. But today we're talking about some serious stuff. And Aaron, this has always been your specialty. You, you, uh, you are not afraid of controversial topics. You're the guy who, what you really spearheaded the session, the uh, series we did last year on privilege, when we talked about white privilege and male privilege and straight privilege. Uh, and uh, for a, and this is nothing new for you. You've been going on to college campuses for a long time, and one of the one of the topics that you have. Uh, you know, dragged into the middle of the room and invited people to address has been abortion. Talk to us about that. Yeah, well, I I want to say straight off that uh, I enjoy these topics not because I'm the expert, but because I want to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. Because these scary conversations, whether it's privilege, and we're like, I don't like, I don't like the word privilege. Awesome, let's talk about it. Well, why? Because you yeah. know everything? No, because I know nothing. So let's talk about it. <laughs> I, I know I'm having, I know I'm having an emotional reaction to the word privilege, abortion. Okay, I want to know. Okay, why? Why am I having that reaction? Why are you having that? Re- why are we angry at each other? I'm not even sure yet. 
Yeah. So abortion uh, is certainly one of those topics, and we're going to talk about an important piece today. Yeah. Um, but I think just leading into it, we need to start by saying, okay, this isn't a scary topic where two different groups, pro-lifers and pro-choicers, are butting heads. I always think that's weird, and I think it happens because people are ridiculously bad at having the conversation. I remember I, I had a friend who was a university professor, and he was running for mayor of a very liberal town in California, and he was here was his platform. platform. His platform was, vote for me. I'm the most liberal person in this county. <laughs> that that was his whole platform. Now he didn't he didn't actually win. But I, I remember calling and saying, Hey, can you sit down with me? I want to talk to you about something. Didn't tell him what I wanted to talk about. Yeah. And I went and said, Hey, you're saying you're the most liberal person in the world. Why are you pro-choice? I'm confused because I think that abortion is a civil rights issue and somehow it's become a religious issue. Mm-hmm. And this is where I think Christians get hung up pulling out verses from the Psalms about being knit, knitted together in their mother's womb, things like that, that A, people that aren't Christians, well, they don't, right. they don't see the Bible as authoritative anyways. So if you're pulling Bible verses out, it means nothing to them. But you're right. also pulling poetry out of the Bible saying this right. is like the scientific reason we're against abortion. I don't need to have that conversation regardless of whether or not I think it's true. There's a couple things that just going into this conversation, I think we need to consider. The basics, and and I learned this from my friend Steve Wagner. He still works in this field, goes to universities. He's brilliant at um, what Stand to Reason calls uh, changing debate to dialogue. How to not mm-hmm. debate, but how to have a conversation. And I learned so much from them. And, and the basics are, okay, we know that an unborn baby is living, right? It's living right. because it, it's growing. It's changing. It's alive. We know that it's human because it has human DNA. And we also know that it's separate in some way from the mother, because you could be a mom with a male baby inside of you. Right. So it's clearly separate or else it would be, you know, totally confusing as to which restroom you should use at this point. Because, well, should I use the male one or the... Right. It's separate from you. It's got its own DNA. So those three things are just facts. Nobody disagrees with that. So the, the confusion is... The simple, simple question is when does a a baby become a person? When does, even using the word baby, when does a zygote become a person? And how do we define a person, a human? Simply this, a rights-bearing entity. Nate, were there any moments in your life where your children were driving you crazy and you thought possibly murder was an answer? <laughs> it may have uh, crossed my mind. Okay. Yes. Thank you for the honesty. Right. But, 
But you, you, you weren't allowed to. But I would never would have. But I never would have followed through on it. And no, right? You're no, well, yeah. and and even if you totally were convicted of that being the best choice for your child in their insanity, you knew you couldn't because it's illegal. Why? Because they're a person. They have rights, yeah. and their rights say you can't kill them. So the big, the only question is when does this child become a rights bearing human that's it so when i talk to my pro-choice friends the whole conversation revolves around well what about the right of the mom this is her flesh it's inside her in other words it's her right the the baby doesn't have a right this is why that's the question these aren't heartless people Honestly, if if any human, a woman or a man said, hey, uh, I'm choosing to shave all the skin off my kneecap right down to the bone, I'd be like, wow, that seems like a dumb choice, but it's just a piece of your flesh, and I guess you can do that, right? Yeah. It's your flesh. And that's the basic argument is it's my flesh. And if that's true, if this is not a person with its own rights, then I fully agree. You can do what you want with it. And I think everybody agrees with that. Mm -hmm. But there's a presupposition that is, no, no, at this point, and for many Christians, it is at inception. For other people, it's later. At whatever point this becomes a person, you don't have a right to take a life. That's yeah. the conversation, which is why it is so weird to me that it's a conservative Christian argument when so many of my liberal friends would say our whole thing is protecting the rights of others. Yeah. And we're like, okay, wait, until we can nail down that exact moment, like at this point, this becomes a person with its own rights like if you err on the wrong side of that statistic that's freaking scary yeah because how many decades did we then say oh crap we went about three months too late there yeah so there's a there's a basic test that i'll throw out uh to the listeners to just consider and and again this is all just saying the the abortion question is uh sure if this is not a human being and it's just a piece of your flesh i'm fine do whatever you want if it's a person i i, I can't say yeah kill it that's not okay for me as a christian or as an american as a human being as a member of this human race so stephen schwartz had a thing called the sled test where he he broke down four basic things that cause the most confusion for people that uh, folks would say, okay, hey, well, the reason it's not a person, a human, a rights-bearing entity is because it's so small. Geez, look how tiny it is. And so then he invites us to say, uh, okay, is that true in any other aspect of life? Do smaller people have less rights than bigger people? Does Shaquille O'Neal have the most rights? Because he's super tall. Yeah, right. No. Okay. So we think that through and we think, okay, so this becomes very subjective. Right. Size doesn't matter anywhere else. 
Okay, but what about level of development? It's not very developed yet. Okay, that's the L. Size, S, L, level of development. Does that also uh, matter in any other part of life? If somebody is born underdeveloped, is it now less of a rights to rights-bearing entity. Now, this all becomes scary because we start to think of like Nazis and things like that, right? That are like, okay, if you're underdeveloped, nope, we can do this. And yeah. I and I don't want to do like a straw man with that. But there were certain philosophies that went around that that said, oh, these things matter and these people don't have as much rights. And we as, as Americans and certainly as Christians say, well, no, that's developmental problems do not equal your right to life. We can't kill you. The E is environment. It's inside its mother. And so as long as it's inside the mother, then it doesn't have the same rights. But environment also doesn't matter. I mean, how many people watch John Travolta in The uh, Boy in the Bubble, right? There's there's lots of people in many environments that you're like, yeah, you're you're in a dependent environment there. Uh, is that the thing that causes me to say you're a person or you're not? The last one is D, which is degree of dependency, which frankly is one of the biggest ones and one of the most confusing ones. When I hear someone say, no, the child in the womb is totally dependent on the mother, and so it's a part of the mother. That's just totally weird, as if when the child comes out of the womb and you hold it in your hands. It looks at you, says, all right, slap me on the ass and cut the umbilical cord. I'm going to get an apartment and a job and be totally dependent. I'm pretty sure that baby is as dependent on somebody else as it was in the womb. If somebody else doesn't care for it, it will die. Yeah. It won't be dependent for a long time. So our life begins at some point, and it's going to go on till we die. But just because we popped out of the womb doesn't change a lot of these factors that we just assume, oh, well, if it's in the womb, it's in that environment. It's in that degree of dependency. But once it's out of the womb, now it's a rights-bearing person. So I don't want to get into it beyond that, except that those four questions kind of shake up my thinking to say, all right, I need to reconsider possibly some of these things. And it's not just about, oh, there's these Bible verses that say I was knit together in my mother's womb. But when is a person, someone who can't defend themselves, but they are a rights-bearing entity, and I need to care about this. And if I don't care about it, that's a problem. You're ignoring this. And I will say my most liberal friend in the county, when we talked about this said, well, yeah, I don't know when a person becomes a person, but if we're killing anybody before they're a person, that's unconscionable was what he said. I said, that's, that's all I want to say. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So when we're talking about this, it's not super scary. It's not super complicated. It's just important that we think about it. So what are you thinking hearing all that? I'm curious. Yeah, well, we're go- well, we're going to change the conversation a bit with our guest. We're going to talk about a different aspect of this issue 
what are the effects, the long-term effects of abortion on us emotionally, spiritually? Uh, how does that or can that play into a life of addiction or a need for healing? But I'm uh, not it, letting you off the hook. I want to know what have been your thoughts, even with those things I just said or things in the past, because abortion is, is controversial. You don't want to bring it up at dinner time because, you know, man, maybe some people in your family feel different and it's going to become a debate. Where's it play for oh, you? We've, yeah, no, we've never avoided the topic. Uh, and uh, we've always been clear in our family that that human life is sacred. Uh, and we believe that uh, I believe and uh, my children believe that uh, life begins at conception. And so, uh, but on the positive side, people that are pro choice yeah. don't hate children, they're focusing on loving on the, mother, the yeah. mother. Sure, sure. So, there's, and, there's this overlap where we're both yeah. like, yes, and and again. Yeah. If this is just a piece of flesh, I think we all agree. But here we've got this thing that nobody can answer in a way that satisfies the other party. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a difficult conversation. Uh, You know, I think the civil rights angle is a potential point of connection, but I don't think it ends the conversation anywhere. Oh, geez. Are you kidding me? Are you, are you thinking all my conversations ended well? Last conversation, <laughs> last conversation was with one of my oldest friends. It ended horribly and went to the parking lot of a restaurant even louder than inside. And I was yeah. trying to get away from it. I was trying to yeah. escape. So, no, no it's, yeah. it's complicated. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for bringing that up, lest anyone thought that I was saying, see, it's that easy. That's not what yeah. I meant at all. Right. But yeah. the... These are the common points, and we don't have to be afraid. It's just, all right, here we deal with it. And what I love about our guest today, and we'll get to it, is that we're bringing men into the conversation. This isn't just a conversation for women where men have to stay silent because they don't physically have the abortion. And you talk about that at the end of this interview, and I think it's so important. Yeah. All right, stay with us. We'll be right back on The Pirate Monk. Welcome back to the uh, Pirate Monk Podcast. Yes, it is the Pirate Monk <laughs> Which one is this? Did you almost do the positive sobriety again? I almost did. I came that close. It is the Pirate Monk Podcast. <laughs> and, and today we have a remarkable guest uh, to, to, to help us in a long overdue conversation mm. with our brothers here. Um, Karen Ellison. 
president of a ministry called Deeper Still is joining us. Hi, Karen. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, you probably are much better equipped than I am to explain for our listeners what it is that Deeper Still does. What What's the focus of your ministry? Yeah. Um, Deeper Still, our entire focus is to bring healing and lasting freedom to abortion-wounded hearts. So let me maybe open that up a little bit. So when I say abortion-wounded heart, that is um, some people usually immediately think of women because women have abortions. And so abortion is more than just a physical or surgical or chemical procedure. And, um, and oftentimes that's lost on people. People only think of it in terms of a physical uh, procedure. But uh, abortion is much more than that. It is the taking of a life. It's the taking of a baby, of a woman. And after you have an abortion, I mean, you may or may not have some kind of physical effects from that or some kind of physical consequences. But um, other than the life of a baby being taken, uh, what you're left with is a heart. Your heart and your mind is forever changed. It's forever uh, damaged and reprogrammed, if you will, in many ways, unless you have received healing and freedom. And so Deeper Steel was raised up to bring, to really focus on the spiritual uh, emotional, psychological uh, effects that abortion has on a person's life. And it's uh, not just the women who've had the abortions, but the father of those children as well are just as much um, recipients of the consequences of abortion than the women are. So, mm-hmm. so at the top of this conversation, can we address mm-hmm. at least some of the elephants? Because this is like, this is the... This is the safari special of elephants in the yeah, room. Yeah, definitely. Right? Yes, so definitely. So we've got people that hear the word abortion and they think, ooh, hey, I avoid that conversation. I mm-hmm. don't want to have an opinion. And this particular part of the conversation isn't about uh, abortion, pro-life, pro-choice. This is about the after effects. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes when we get stuck in, well, no, if if I jump into this conversation, it means I have to pick a side. And I've spent my life avoiding picking a side. Now, I personally mm-hmm. would like people to think through this and pick a side. However, that's not this conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, OK, so first of all, let me say this, since we're going to put the elephant right out there in the room. Um, you, you know, this is really... The only reason abortion is a controversial subject, the thing you need to ask is, well, why? Why is it controversial? I mean, why is it even a big deal? If, and I, you know, this sounds simple, but this is what I say a lot. If abortion wasn't a big deal, then it wouldn't be a big deal. The only reason abortion is a big deal is because it is a big deal. You know, having an abortion is not like having your tooth pulled. It's not like having your appendix out. It's not like having your gallbladder removed. Uh, all those all those things I just named are either organs in your body or, or part of your body. When we're talking about abortion, we're talking about removing, forcibly removing another living life, a, a little offspring, a baby from your from the womb of a mother. And that's true if you're animal and you have, you know, you're pregnant or if you're a human being and you're pregnant, those are separate little 
uh, living beings that you are removing. You are ripping out your with the intention of, of killing that life that has begun. So in our culture, particularly the reason, you know, one of the reasons people want to avoid it because we don't want to face it. We don't want to face what it is because it's too painful. It's too uncomfortable. And I can guarantee you that nobody wants to talk about abortion. Nobody. But we have to ask ourselves first, why? Why don't I want to talk about this? Why do I want to avoid this at every turn? Why do I want to walk out of the room when the subject comes up? Why do I feel like turning off my radio right now because I don't want to hear this discussion? You know, these are the, and the reason for that is because we have to look at what abortion really is because what is manifesting in us is some kind of a fear, some kind of avoidance, some kind of, I don't want to deal with this. And, uh, for all you know, for all our reluctance to talk about abortion, abortion has become startlingly common. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, and uh, as a result, the the number of people affected by the ripple, of, you know, subject to the ripple effects of abortion, is multiplying every year. True. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now. Thankfully, in the United States, uh, the numbers are actually going down. Um, you know, they really peaked in the 90s, um, in the late 80s and early 90s is when it really peaked in our nation. And there's been a slow decline. So there's a lot about that that's very encouraging. But we are living in, in the wake of, uh, we're living in the wake of 40 years, over 40, close to 50, you know, years of abortion, we are living in the wake of that. So we are living in the ripple effect of that. We're living in the consequence of that. And mm -hmm. I mean, even though I know numbers can kind of numb your mind, but I, maybe I could make it uh, kind of help put some uh, concrete uh, visualization to this. Since 1973, in the United States of America, 61 million babies have been aborted. So when you think about even what does, what's the population of 61 million? I mean, what does that even look like? Well, I can tell you in the United States, it looks like the entire population of California, Oregon, Washington, and Arizona. If you take the entire populations of those states, that's how many uh, American citizen babies have been aborted since 1973. Now, wow. with every one of those babies, there was a mother and there was a father. Those mothers and those fathers, most of them are still alive and living among us right now. So, so after their abortion, now years later, they are living in a post-abortion world. They're living in the wake of those. And, and many of the decisions they make in life, many of the snares they've gotten caught up in, uh, many of those can be rooted back to that decision to have an abortion. You talk to us about some of the effects that you commonly see as mm -hmm. you uh, care for people uh, affected by abortion. Yeah, well, um, Nathan, maybe first I, let me just share that abortion is part of my own story. Okay. Um, I had an abortion when I was 22 years old and I was in college. I was a Christian at the time, even though I didn't know a lot about abortion, I, something deep in my heart knew that it was wrong. But there were certain influences um, in my life at that time that were stronger, that were more overwhelming for me or stronger than my core conviction to stand up for what I believe. Mm -hmm. And that became a very 
that became a place where the enemy really tormented me for years uh, that I should have known better that, um, you know, I was just, uh, I was weak and I was um, cowardly and all these things. And, and so there's a certain uh, way that that opens up the door for enemy to come in and torment you until you can find relief. So um, it really, it, it really and it came out a lot of out of my own healing story and my own way that the Lord pursued me, that I could even gain a voice to talk about this situation or to invite anybody else into the healing journey. I could not even say the word abortion. I couldn't say it. It would get like stuck in my throat. I didn't want to say it. I couldn't say it. I would avoid the subject at all costs. And I, you know, I lived in this, you know, you kind of manage your fear, you manage your shame. It's like if I was in a group of people and the, and even Christians, even believers, and the subject of abortion came up, I would find a way to leave the room. I'd find a way to change the subject. And I would just want to go curl up in a ball somewhere. So, uh, so what I just described is not just uh, unique to me. Uh, these are, first of all, they're kind of responses to shame and they're responses to guilt. And one of the things I like to make a different, a a differentiation about is between guilt and guilt feelings. You know, a lot of times people, uh, and even therapists, I mean, I had so many people, uh, would, 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 would maybe go to a therapist because they were really, uh, hurting or feeling guilty or pain or sad or whatever, about their abortions and their therapists wouldn't want to touch it. They wouldn't, they wouldn't want to touch abortion. They wouldn't want to bring abortion into the conversation at all. They wanted to avoid it as much as the person having, you know, having those issues. But um, so, so people try to help you don't, don't feel guilty about it. So they try to help you rationalize a way to get you to not feel guilty about it. Well, I say that's, that's ridiculous because what you're really dealing with is not just guilty feelings. You're, you're dealing with true, what I call true moral guilt, meaning you truly have blood stain on your hands. There's a true moral transgression that happened. And God did not create our hearts to be able to bear the weight of moral guilt. We can't do it. So when you can't bear guilt, the more guilt, you will find ways to compensate. You'll mm. find ways to cover it up. You'll find ways to anesthetize it. You'll find ways to deny it. You'll find you'll kind of find all these ways to deny your heart because you do not want to really face what your heart is telling you. And so, so people, uh, you know, they manifest what I call an abortion wounded heart. You know, that people manifest that in different ways, but there are some ways that I think are common to everybody. There's certain, um, I might say there's almost like a there's uh, some maybe extremes of how people it manifests in people's lives, but I can at least give you some ways that I think are common to everybody. Uh, for one thing, uh, as I've said already, after you've had an abortion, you immediately go into some kind of denial. There's a part of you that that keeps telling yourself why you had to do it, mm-hmm. or you tell yourself why you had to encourage your girlfriend to do it, or why you had to. Um, you know, insist that your wife have the abortion, you know, you, if, because you think if you can rationalize it, maybe that'll put your heart at peace. So there's a certain denial and a certain rationalization that happens. Um, the other one I would say is you now have the secret to keep. No one's going to go out and announce that they've had an abortion 
to everybody or even to their closest friends, certainly not to their pastor, certainly not to the ones that you think would uh, give you any kind of pushback or, or challenge you in that at all. You, you now have a secret to keep. And it's hard to keep that secret because it takes a lot of energy to keep a secret, especially so, over the So real yes. quick, just with that secret, I, I think a, a lot of times it's easy to think, oh, these are just people who are, you know, they didn't care. They were out partying. They were sleeping around. But there are a lot of people within the church because you said like keeping secrets from the pastor, from those people. Mm-hmm. There, there are a lot of people who carry this secret within their community of faith. Give, give me a little more about that so that we dispel that, oh, yeah, this is just for those people outside the church, all those pagans. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's a really good and important. It's one of the reasons why I wrote my book that I wrote, uh, the subtitle being Freedom for the Abortion Mooted and Help for the Church They Fear. You fear the church. And, and why? Because first of all, you have no idea what kind of reaction you're going to get. And your worst fear is that you will be rejected, that you will be condemned in some way, that you will be a disappointment. I mean, there, there's all these things of why you want to hide it, and you can't come up with a good reason why you should tell anybody. So you live with that for a long time. You know, statistically, it's, it's around 70% of American women who have abortions identify themselves as Christian. Wow. So if you just think about that for a minute, like what makes the Christian woman or man different from the one who's an unbeliever in terms of why they had the abortion? You know, so, uh, you know, one of the terms, one of the phrases you'll hear a lot when people talk about abortion um, and justifying it, you'll hear the phrase, well, it was a really difficult decision for me to make. I even hear a lot of pro-choice, pro-abortion voices out there will say, well, it was a, you know, this is a very hard decision for a woman to come up with. And and again, so you just want to ask the question, well, why? Why is it so difficult? You know, it's almost like if it, if I said that I somehow it was a difficult decision, that that somehow makes me, uh, it makes it a little more noble of of a decision than if I said, oh, hey, I could care less, I could care less if it was a baby or not. You know what I'm saying? So, um, but anyway, back to the church, you know, part of the reasons we, the Bible gives us very clear instruction. It doesn't, it. the Bible is so simple. You know, it says to bring the hidden things into the light. If we confess our sins one to another, that he will heal us and his blood will cover us. And so we just, it's almost like we want to avoid, well, like we want to apply that scripture to something else. And, and healing can only begin if we bring our hidden things into the light, but, but we are afraid to do that. And I think one of the reasons is because if our church, and this is one of my big uh, burdens that I have for the church, I mean the big church, um, not only do we need to create a culture of life so that we talk about these things, but we need to create a culture of healing. Like, mm. does your church have a culture where where people can bring their hidden things to the light? Have you cultivated a culture where you can bring your sin and confess it one to another? Is there a place to go that that's you know emotionally safe 
so that I can bring my hidden things to the light and you know what to do with me afterwards. Like you're not going to just, you know, run and hide from me or avoid me, but you know what to do with me if I bring all my stains to the forefront. And, and most churches, I mean, they believe that theologically, but they haven't practically created a culture where it's a safe place to bring the hidden things into the light. Can, can I ask a practical question on that? Sure. I, I don't sure. want to derail where you were going. But sure. so we've got this, this issue of abortion and within the church, we, we say, oh no, this is, there's the sanctity of this life. Mm-hmm. So a person who's had an abortion walks through the parking lot and sees bumper stickers that say abortion is murder. And they think, okay, if I tell anyone, I'm clearly a murderer. Mm-hmm. And we, we want the church to have something to say on this issue. But then if when they talk about the issue, that naturally isolates the person who's experienced it. It's a tricky situation. Mm -hmm. So how do you create a culture in a church saying, here's what we believe, but you are also safe? Mm -hmm. Well, exactly. That is the very thing that the church needs to grapple with. So when you, it's the, it's again, it's simple. It's the simple truth of the Bible. We, uh, we proclaim the truth in love. Yeah. You know, we pray in truth and love. So when you have the bumper stickers that say abortion is murder, you need to have another bumper sticker right beside it that says God can forgive you and you can be healed. Yeah. You know, that the blood of Jesus is stronger than the blood that cries out from the land. And I think, you know, also our churches, we need to start out with a theology of life. So few Christians have ever heard a teaching on the theology of life. Like, why is it even a, why is it that uh, human life is sacred from animal life or, or it's different from plant life? You know, what is the theology of life? Until you have the theology of life, your heart isn't even going to be able to muster up a conviction because you don't even know the truth about it. So let's start by let's teach. Let's teach what God's words says about the theology of life, the sanctity of life. From there, then we, when we understand the value of life, then we're, it's, it's just an easy next step to understand why the taking of human life is egregious to the Lord. Because these are his, you know, just like all of us, we were all created by God. And then when we recognize that we have fallen way short, we have fallen short, we have violated God's laws, then we need to know we have a Savior that paid a huge price to cover my sin and to bring healing to me so that I don't have to live in condemnation. I don't have to live in, in, in captivity and imprison the rest of my life. That I can be set free for a new life and I can have a restored heart and I can actually use my voice to then reach out to someone else and say, here's the truth and here's the love. So in your story, how did you start to find your way out of your secret <laughs> isolation and were you surprised by the responses you got? Well, my biggest surprise was how much the Lord pursued me. Isn't that crazy thought? Like, mm. Jesus pursued me. You know, I was kind of like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to tell. I just, you know, and and you think, you know, I know it doesn't make rational sense, but it's like, Jesus is the one that kept coming after me. 
and he would send people into my, he would send people into my life and they had a different, you know, everyone had a little bit of a different um, part to play in my redemption. There, there were certain friends that had the, the hard word for me, the, the truth word, the strong word that made, made me really face what abortion really is. And then he would send me people that were the, like the ones that would go right after my heart and they would let me cry and they would let me grieve and they would come alongside and, and let me know that Jesus, that, that Jesus is bigger than this and that you don't have to beat yourself up with this rest of your life. You can receive his redeeming love and you can receive his restoration. And then in addition to that, uh, which also surprised me, the Lord sent me people that said, not only does he want to redeem you and heal you, he actually wants to raise you up and he wants to use your voice and he wants to help you draw others in to the mercy seat of God. Hmm. Now, remember, isn't that amazing? It's incredible. <laughs> Do you remember the, the first time you yeah. uh, grabbed onto the courage to tell somebody else? Yes, I totally, I was, uh, this is for me, it was about uh, three months, three or three to five months or something after my abortion, which again, that is because the Lord pursued me. Uh, many, many, many of the people that we see that come to our retreats for healing, they have lived with this secret for 50, 60, 70 years in some cases. So, you know, that's a, you live with, you basically live with it your, your whole life, your whole adult life after that. But for me, um, and, you know, I know it's because the Lord was pursuing me and I had a heart that wanted to get right with God, but I got so miserable. It's almost like I couldn't live with myself. It's like, I have to tell somebody, Lord, I have to tell somebody. And he brought a trusted person that I knew, um, from my church. This was, you know, if she was from my church and I knew her and I felt comfortable enough. I knew she would love me, I guess is the thing. And so I asked her to go for a walk one day. We went for a walk and I just put it out there. I just cried and cried and cried and she cried and she listened to me. And, you know, I knew that she knew that abortion was wrong. I knew that she knew that my heart knew that abortion was wrong. And so her job that day was not to convince me that abortion was wrong. Her job that day was to love me. It's almost like the Lord said to her, your assignment today, you need to go love Karen and let her know that my grace is sufficient for what she's carrying. And, and because of her ministry to me that day, that gave me the courage to take the next step. And so it really was baby steps um, until I started to gain the courage that uh, God will send me the people I need to help strengthen me so that if a word of judgment does come my way, I mean, I can remember the first time I ever told my testimony in a church, like in an actual church um, service, which was mm -hmm. some years later. But there was a couple people that um, came up to me afterwards. Most people said really encouraging things to me. Uh, but there were some people that they were genuinely struggling. They weren't trying to condemn me, but they were genuinely struggling with how could a Christian do this? How could you be a Christian and fall into mm -hmm. this kind of deception and fall into, you know, fall into this. And, you know, but the beautiful thing for me, for my experience was when that, when that, and I remember one person in particular, when he was expressing his, you know, his struggle with all that to me, if I would not have had a measure of the healing that I had at that point, I think his comments would have crushed me. I think I would have, you know, kind of got into more like a, a victim thing or just 
kind of got angry because someone was, con- you know, I would I would have taken it as some kind of condemnation or something. But my heart was had enough healing at that point that I, it did not crush me. I validate. I said, I know. I said, I'm. I know that you are struggling and you're wrestling with this. I hope you know as you hear my testimony, the Lord will help you work through this so that you can get, you know, you can come to some answers for yourself as you're wrestling through this. And I was so thankful yeah, that you know I could what, be. Do you know what strikes me, Karen, when you say that? I'm thinking about yeah. you, Nate. You mm-hmm. you came telling your story in those early years, thinking, who is going to judge me for this? Right. And and you had a pretty intense story for the Christian audience. I mean, this was not a story most people had heard in church. Right. And uh, I... I don't know to this day that you have ever had the response Karen just described ever when you told your story. Oh, I've had it some. Okay. I've had it some. Yeah. Do you think it's rare? It's so it, I, I was just thinking it, it feels like a person telling their story of struggling through this healing after having an abortion yeah. probably gets yeah. it a lot more than yeah, you I, ever got. Yeah, I would say probably. I'm sure I've had I've had limited kind of pushback. You know, how could a Christian? You know, and, and yet your story was higher hookers, right? Right, your story is far less common. I I mm-hmm. don't think there's as many people with your story. You know, to varying degrees for sure with sexual addiction, sexual brokenness, absolutely. Yeah, but for the amount of people that Karen's talking about and feeling like, oh man, there is a stigma attached to this where people feel more comfortable pushing back, and it's mm-hmm. not that your story doesn't make them uncomfortable, Nate, because I think we all deal with that brokenness, right? Yeah, yeah. But and I, th- I, I think that stigma is is real, and the fear has. There's a reason for that fear. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing you can uh, and just kind of assume is for every person that might come up and say something to you, it's a little bit of a challenge. <laughs> there are there are probably a dozen that just wouldn't say it. Yeah. You right. know, they would think it, but they wouldn't say it. But when we give voice to it and give voice to the testimony of what God has done, we are helping people renew their mind. Yeah. And think in a new way. And I guess it's always encouraging that Jesus' testimony also brought a whole lot of uh, pushback. So, you know, if Jesus got pushback, then it's, <laughs> right. you know, Aren't what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I often have the sensation when I'm talking, especially to uh, a, a mixed audience, a male and female audience, uh, and I'm talking about uh, sexual addiction, you know, the male experience, my personal experience of sexual addiction, and I'm addressing primarily the guys. I know I can, as I watch the faces of the wives and the girlfriends and the daughters uh, in the room, mm-hmm. that um, a significant percentage of those women have been impacted mm-hmm. by the behavior of the men in their lives, whether absolutely. that behavior was acknowledged or unacknowledged. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I am sure that you must experience the same thing when you talk to an audience. Um, you know, as you said, when we raise the subject of abortion and we talk about, you know, the people affected by abortion, our first thought goes to the woman who Mm -hmm. actually, you know, went to the clinic. Mm -hmm. 
but there was a father. Yeah. And there were uh, very likely other, you know, quite possibly other males. You know, it might be a dad who knew what went down or whatever. Yeah. Uh, what do you see uh, in the, uh, first of all, how much of your work is directed toward men? I heard about you from a guy whose life was greatly mm-hmm. uh, impacted and deeply healed when the Lord yeah. brought you across his path. How, how often do you find yourself ministering to men? Yeah. So we know we do healing retreats. These are weekend retreats and mm-hmm. they're free of charge, by the way. Um, but That's we, crazy. Uh, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Exactly. They're free of charge. And uh, so we have both men and women come to our retreats. In the Mm -hmm. early years, I just had women come to the retreats because I was just trying to figure out how to minister to women, (laughs) you know, and I, and I really didn't think uh, I would be ever inviting men. Not that I, not that I didn't have a burden for them and not that I didn't think they had a need, but I just didn't know if our context was the one for men. And then eventually kind of long story short, eventually I became convinced that the Lord wanted us to open the doors to our brothers. And so we started doing that. And I'm telling you, the dynamics changed so incredibly for the good. I mean, Mm. God just used that dynamic of men and women traveling through this journey together um, that he did so much, I think, deeper level of healing. Because a lot of, you know, when you've had an abortion, when you have an abortion wounded heart, whether you're a man or a woman, you have pain, you have grief, you have anger, and, 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 and you had someone that you felt either pressured you or like in men's, in, in a lot of women, they were very pressured by men to have the abortion. A lot of times for men, they didn't have a choice. Maybe they wanted to have, and they urged her to have the baby, but she rejected him and, or she never even told him. And he found out years later that, mm-hmm. and he didn't even know. And so you have all these, you know, uh, tumultuous uh, emotions. And so when men and women, um, are going through an abortion, I mean, I'm sorry, going through a healing retreat. Um, and they go as individuals. We don't, you know, we don't encourage people to come as couples. They, they go as individuals. But, you know, when you're a woman and you have a lot of bitterness, to, even towards the men, the particular men that hurt you, yeah. you, you just naturally generalize that to all men. It's like, all men are like this. You know, oh, yeah. and, and, and and men can do that, too, for women. But when you get the when you get men and women in the room, even though they weren't directly involved in your story, but you can see the pain that uh, that women deal with or you can see the shame that men are carrying. And when they begin to know a little bit about each, you know, the other people's stories. And then they're, they can almost like receive it from other people because they're strangers. You know, it's kind of like you can be objective in that sense. Mm-hmm. And so you just begin to see these walls go down. And, and many men have um, in our retreats, I've, I've, if I could say one phrase that, uh, that I've heard so many men say at our retreats about women, it was simply this. They'd say, we never knew how much we hurt you. Wow. And the reason they never knew how much they hurt is because once a, a, a woman and a man have an abortion, especially if they were like in a relationship together or married or whatever, you they simply don't talk about it. You never talk about it. 
you, you leave the clinic that day, you go home and you never talk about it again. It's almost like you make an inner vow. We will not talk, even if it's unspoken, it's we will not talk about this again. And so all this, all this emotion, all this weight of moral guilt is building up in their hearts. They never talk about it and, the, and it just breaks them apart. And statistically, most marriages break apart. They've ever ha had abortion together, or even if you weren't married, just a relationship. Very few relationships survive abortion. Wow. Hmm. So, so when you... So when you begin to see um, men and women walk down a similar, even though men are different from women and how you process things or how you might manifest your grief might be different, but you still, and we all still have the core need. We need to know that our hearts have been reconciled first with God, then with the people that hurt us or we hurt them, and then reconciled with our aborted children and that we, that we can legitimately grieve our loss. Um, and then, then your heart gets restored and your relationships get restored and the enemy can no longer torment you like he once did. So what would you say, and you kind of already said it, but to the male listeners that have felt like on this issue of abortion, because I'm a man, I don't get to have a voice. And so mm -hmm. if I experience this, my feel, I just need to push these feelings somewhere. What would you yeah. say to them? Okay. So first of all, I would say you do have a voice. It's only the enemy um, has ever said, and, and, you know, there's been marketing campaigns against us. The women's, the, you know, the women's kind of feminist movement have told men for years, you have no, you have no place in this. And, and so, and we believed it, you know, kind of the whole culture believed it. So men felt obligated to bow out and say, okay, I guess I don't have a voice in this. Well, God is telling you, you do have a voice in this. In fact, your voice is so important, even though, and I always say, go back to Adam and Eve, you know, even though it was Eve that was the first that fell into the deception and first ate that fruit or whatever, she, she did first, but Adam, you know, Adam kind of went passive or whatever, but, but, but then he ate of the fruit as well. And, but when they were in the, you know, and it says in the Lord visited them in the cool of the evening and they were already hiding. And what did God say? He said, Adam, where are you? Mm. He didn't say Eve, what have you done? That wasn't the first thing God said. He said, Adam, where are you? And, and I feel like there's so much spiritual authority and leadership that men are supposed to carry in their families that God is saying to his sons, he's saying, my sons, where were you? Where are you? Why aren't you fighting for your children? And you've let the enemy emasculate you and take your voice and take your strength and take your fight. And I mean that in a very positive, like gentle leadership kind of way. No, and, I'm taking and, it in a brave heart way. I like it. Keep going. A, right. <laughs> right. And in a brave heart way. Exactly. And so when that gets restored, when our, when our brothers, when our sons and our husbands and when they, when their abortion wounded hearts get restored, then they're going to be able to fight for their families. They're going to be able to lead with godly leadership and women, women long for that. It's like men are, are created to protect and to provide and to procreate, you know, and we as women, we're met, we have leadership in us as well, but we want to do it in conjunction with our brothers. We don't, we're not like, uh, we're not like in opposition to one another. We're to be unified in that. And when men and healed women and healed men can come together 
and humbly lock arms and say, we're going to fight this battle for our children for the next generation, then abortion will, the abortion will be defeated. Wow. Well, uh, I just know that a, a significant number, a, a, a good percentage of our listeners are going to want to follow up and learn more about Deeper Still. Uh, you've got a book. Tell us about your book and yeah. where our, our mm-hmm. listeners can get it. Yes, thank you. Um, uh, Nathan, can I make one more comment? Sure, um, yeah. I just want to say, uh, based on a, a little bit I know about your ministry as well, so many people that come to our retreats, they have, uh, they are plagued, or what's the word I want to use? They are uh, in bondage to so many different kinds of addictions. Mm-hmm. Sexual addiction certainly being one of them, but many kinds of addictions. And they really have never understood how, how did that even happen? Like, how do I get to the root of that? And a lot of times when we take them and they have an abortion wounded heart as well. And when we take them through the healing process and the journey of bringing that to the light, then, then the need uh, for those addictions to cover up something or to numb yeah. something or to whatever, it, it can you can get delivered from it so much more easily when the root issue of why you open those doors in the first place, once that root issue gets dealt with and that door gets closed, then it's much mm. easier to get delivered from those things. Yes, 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 yes. Well, yeah, we developed these maladaptive, sinful coping strategies Yes. Uh, to deal with pain. And uh, yeah, and so... You have kind of been raised up as a spiritual surgeon, haven't you, Karen? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's and it's not just me. I have a team of people. I mean, <laughs> probably half of our team have been our, have been through our retreats. Uh-huh. You know, so you 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 uh, you comfort others in the comfort you've been comforted with. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Well, what part of the country are you in, by the way? I'm sure people are going to be curious about. Yeah, that. we're in Knoxville, Tennessee. Ah, uh, God's country. Tennessee. Yeah, kind of we're, we love Tennessee. It's the best. <laughs> it's Elliot, especially the Smoky Mountain end of Tennessee, you see. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, let's, let's not start discriminating. <laughs> but, you know, if I made that statement. So, okay. So, I'm, I am curious about your book, but I also want people to know how to check out these retreats. So, give us yes. all the skinny. Yes, I will. Okay, so our our mission is not just to do retreats ourselves here in beautiful East Tennessee up in the Smoky Mountains, but our mission is also to teach other people how to do these retreats and to start Deeper Still chapters in their area. So right now we have about 18 chapters around the country. Nice. And, and the way you can find those is to go to our website, which is still dot org because we want you to go deeper still so go deeper org and if you go to our website and you click on retreats then you'll see the different chapters that are having retreats coming up uh, you know in the year and you can um, you can contact them directly and you you will fill out some paperwork and so forth and um and so again, our retreats are free of charge. We just, you know, you have to get yourself there. But once you get there, uh, we'll take care of you uh, from that point on. And, um, you know, because of the coronavirus, unfortunately, we've, all of us have basically had to postpone our spring retreats because normally we would have 
spring retreats at this time, but uh, you know, we've had to postpone those to uh, the fall or later right. some do summer retreats. But anyway, that's how you can find out where to get a retreat. You can also on our website, uh, if you want to get my book, it's called Healing the Heart That Won't Heal, Freedom for the Abortion Wounded and Help for the Church They Fear. And I talk about a woman's abortion wounded heart. I talk about men's abortion wounded hearts. And I talk about how do we uh, how do we equip the church to be to have a culture of life and a culture of healing so that this army, this wounded army, we live in an abortion wounded world. This army can be healed, raised up and become a voice for the unborn. Beautiful, beautiful. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, there's all the information, listeners. Stay with us. We'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. And we're back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. All right. That, I don't know, I feel positive, but that was heavy stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I felt, you know what, it was heavy in a good way. It had heft. It had uh, depth to it. And I just know that there are men and women who are listening to this podcast uh, who heard something today that they have needed to hear for a very long time and are feeling the invitation, not the challenge, but the gentle invitation to take a step in the direction of healing. I I'm so grateful to Karen for her hard work and uh, look forward to learning more and experiencing more with Deeper Still. Yeah, and, and I will, with that said, apologize for any preachiness at the beginning that I had. I think this is, <laughs> I think this is a really important topic to be able to just talk about with people on both sides of the issue. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry. Do you know how I get it? Oh, come on. Uh, I, I love your passion. I love your passion, man. Well, I hate to end the conversation, but I am responsible for opening the uh, Monday night meeting of the original Franklin group, which has been moved online. And it's set to start pretty soon. So we're going to have to wrap up this uh, episode of the podcast so that I can meet my brothers for our regular meeting. But listeners, send us in your ideas for how to amuse yourselves and your spouses and other spouses and I, I don't know it's getting confusing now how, how do you do that? 
How do you connect with other people during this time? We want to hear your ideas. We'll present them. We're going to have some very light conversations about this in the near future. So send it to us as well as any other questions you want us to talk about during this time. Or, I don't know, guests you'd like to suggest? Ooh, I've, I've got one. Somebody sent me a guest. I'm trying to find him. Okay. All right. Fantastic. Do that. More of those. Okay. Well, that's it for this week. Until next time, I'm wait, Nate. Wait, wait, wait. Where do, they, where do they send it? You got to do your spiel. Oh, well, yes. Send those suggestions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. All right. Can I leave now? You can I've leave got now. another meeting to get to. Just, you, it's fifty. It's six fifty-one. You got nine minutes. You're sitting at the same computer. Oh, this okay. is not a rush. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to. I've got. I've got to open the room early. Come on, man. All right. Go All ahead. Right. Until next time, I'm Nate, and I'm Consuelo. Oh man, <laughs> robbed my thunder, and we're your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. All no, right. No arg from you? I arg. did your part. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. See you next week, Aaron. There you go.